prison and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dude, burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're going to be like blown out of the water but you just go no i just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers oh what about that now then everybody i am tom ramsey and welcome to the edge coaching podcast this podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear, relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology, and much, much more. Without further ado, let's begin. Now then, everybody, and welcome to podcast number 24. Today's podcast, I am joined by um, one of my good friends and athletes, Nathan Smith. I've known Nathan for uh, probably about five years or so. Um, lose track of time, to be honest, recently. Um, but he's um, a really great guy, a fantastic athlete. He um, he lives over near York and. He's been racing in the UK for a number of years. And then this previous year, he has um, moved into the realms of professional cycling. So um, he's one of my athletes that has kind of uh, got to that stage now where he's been taken over by um, a pretty renowned team and is doing a lot of world tour races now. And I thought it'd be a good um, opportunity to get a little bit of an insight into his lifestyle and how that transition is going into uh, that kind of level of racing. So for anybody, obviously, who watches that level of racing on TV, um, you know, it's all very well seeing it on TV, but you never really get an insight into kind of inside the peloton and what what life is like um, for for someone like Nathan. Um so yeah, so uh, in, to set the scene, um, you'll soon find out um, we're actually, I actually met him at Starbucks um, because he lives near York, I live near Hull, near Beverly. Um, so we met kind of halfway in between uh, at Pocklington Starbucks and I got the mic out and I um, pressed record um, on the basis that I knew there'd be a bit of background noise at a cafe, um, but I've just listened to a little bit back and you can still pick out our voices okay, even though there's lots of sounds of um, of all the baristas working in the background and other people chatting a little bit, but you can still hear what we're saying. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, as you'll soon find out, um, Nathan is quite quietly spoken compared to me so you'll have to listen out especially well when Nathan's trying to talk um here goes okay so today I'm joined with Nathan Smith um to set the scene everything's going off right now (laughs) we are actually sat we are actually sat in Starbucks um I've got some fruit toast in front of me and a coffee, and Nathan's just smashed through a bacon sandwich. And uh, <laughs> so, I appreciate there will be probably some fairly big background noise in this podcast, but um, we'll see what we can do and uh, and and hope to get the most out of it. 
I invited Nath down for a bit of a chat to give a bit of an insight into his life over the past few years um, and hopefully this this gives you a bit of an insight as well into where Nathan's been and where he's come from. So Nath, um, firstly tell me a little bit about the last few weeks, uh, why are you back in the UK and um, what's been going on over abroad and, and why did you come back prematurely? Well, I had some, I was racing in France at the, when was it, it was the beginning of September, beginning of this month, when we record it, and basically I, let's just say I had a bit of an accident in during the race and I ended up crashing quite badly and, yeah, long story short, I had to just come back, I had to come back early. I was due to go to Czech Republic to do another stage race, but I had to come back early, so, so yeah, had a week off the bike, not ideal, but I'm back on it now, so. So tell me about that crash, so <clears throat> I, I heard, obviously we've, you've given me a little bit of an insight and I've seen some photos of what ha what what the, um, the end result was, a lot of um, skin off, but um, how did it happen? Take me through, if you, if you dare revisit the uh, the incident. Well, I don't, it's, it's more embarrassing more than anything, really. <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, well, basically, I was coming back through the cars, coming back to the bunch through the cars, and then I got I got caught on the wrong side, on the right side of the car, where it should be more on the left side, mm. and then the couple of cars in front of the one I was behind Break very suddenly, and basically, I didn't have enough time to go from the right side of the car to go around to the left. Oh, shit. So, I ended up like clipping the left bumper of the car at about 60k an hour, and then Ouch. nowhere to go from there. So. Do you remember the whole thing? Like, were you knocked um, out at all? Or? I don't think I was knocked out. I remember brake lights and then being on the floor. I don't remember a bit in between, but no. I think it was a matter of seconds. So. Just a lot of rolling. And sliding more than rolling, probably. Yeah. So, but <laughs> yeah. so, injuries were... Was there anything more than just skin off, or was it just flesh? Um, a lot of skin off and concussion as well, so... Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. you saying, yeah. Well, I had a big black eye and a big massive lump on the side of my head, and the helmet was completely... completely smashed to pieces, so... Wow. That was that was the main reason why I had a week off the bike. So this is you don't want to rush back to it too quickly and then end up getting headaches and yeah. feeling ill and then you just end up having more time off the bike. So. Yeah. Did you have any adverse effects from the concussion then? I didn't in the end. No. So. no. Good. Good. So so um in terms of obviously before that then so you say you were racing over in France at that point. Yeah, I'd only just actually, I'd only been out for about a week at that point, so yeah. I came back previously for about a month and then went back out to France. So, so for those who don't know, um, if we go, if we go back a step then, um, who is Nathan Smith and, and who do you race for and, um, you know, in the current moment, uh, what, what was your calendar looking like this year? Um, and yeah, what, what team do you ride for? Well, I ride for the Team Nova Nordisk Development Squad at the moment, which is uh, 
well, it's a continental team. It's an American team, but largely European-based racing. So it's an old diabetic cycling team as well. So, so obviously I'm type one diabetic. So yeah, race for them. And as I say, it's largely European-based. So we were went out to Italy in May, and then I was in it, based in Italy from May, June, and yeah, and July. And we did racing in Italy, racing in Bulgaria, racing in Hungary, racing in Slovakia as a team, and then, yeah, that was yeah nowhere else but oh yeah i went to croatia in like february or march as well to do some early season racing and i came back to the uk but. how have you found the transition um the transition into that kind of you know the, the realms of pro cycling then how have you gone from um you know obviously we've known each other for a good few years now um I first met you actually when I was working in Giant York. I remember doing a bike fit on, bike bike, fit on you. Yeah. yeah, I sold you a bike. Um, that was a long time. And then a few years after that, um, who were you racing for at the time before you were raced for World Top? I wasn't racing for anyone. Wasn't racing for anyone. You were on your yeah, own? Because that's when I switched from triathlon to cycling. That's it, yeah. So you, you came from a triathlon background. And then, um, and then, yeah, we, you started uh, racing for World Top the Edge, um, which is when I took you on as an athlete. And then um, we'd kind of gone through a, a, a couple of years of, of um, one-to-one coaching. And it was only the point in which you went to um, your current team where you kind of branched off and, and we stopped coaching together. Um, but yeah, I've, I've known kind of what's gone on over the past few years and it seems like it's just come on leaps and bounds, you know, ever since we met. It was very obvious that you had some very um, good legs on you and some uh, some talent for for racing bikes. And I remember testing you that first time and and seeing your strengths. And each time we tested you, you were getting stronger and stronger, and your results were coming as well. Um, but um, but yeah, it seems like you've kind of come up through the ranks really quickly. Tell me about like that process. Then how's it been from you, and how's that? transition being um, into the racing racing essentially professionally well the racing in the UCI races in on the continent uh, they're a completely different level to anything in this country even the like the national series and stuff they're completely especially this year with uh, even with uh, this year with a uh, limited number of races because of still the Covid situation lingering on, it's, the races are crazy basically, they're ridiculously hard and ridiculously fast and the guys you get turned up to UCI 1.2s and yeah, you get ex-world tour riders and all, the, all the, these world tour development teams with all the young riders who are basically going world tour next year and stuff it's just it's, yeah. every every uci race is like the last couple of years it's just gone up another couple of levels so so the equivalent of a 1.2 
this year would be like a 1.1, 1.3 in previous years. So. And for those who aren't in the know, how does that, how do those categories kind of rack up? You know, you talk about 1.1, 1.2, so on. Mm. Uh, where does it start and what does it get to in terms of the different levels? Well, the lowest um, UCI ranked race is a 1.2 or 1.2. Yeah, 1. And then you have a 1.1, then you have a 1. Pro, and then you have a 1.2. And then if it's a stage race, it's a 2. Point whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And what's the, the highest ranked race you've been in this year then? I've done a 2.1 stage race, which was Adriata, Adriatica Ionica race. Wow. Which is, yeah. So we had. Um, I think Viviani won it. Elia Viviani won it overall. And no, he won two stages because it was a mountain mountain finish. And the I can't remember his name, but was that the guy who won the mountain stage was the Italian. Was he? Yeah, Italian. The Italian guy won in the Giro of the Zoncaland, basically. For mm-hmm. whatever team he was for, I can't remember his name. But basically, there was some. There's some quite big names in it, and Astana World Tour team were there. And yeah, so it was a it was an experience. But how how was it for you then? Like, I mean, because if I I mean, I could only assume that if someone like me, mere, mere mortals, went to a race like that, as soon as the gun went off, I'm I'm fairly confident that after ten minutes, I'd be blowing even trying to keep up with the pack. To be mm. honest. Um, what's the effort like? To, I mean, I appreciate you know there's a lot can happen if there's uh, if we're chasing a break or whatever it might be, then the pace would be a lot higher. But what's it like in terms of you know just sat in the group? Is is it still not too bad sat in the group, or or are you still not, kind of no. pressing away? It's not. It's a lot. See, these sorts of races are a lot more structured and controlled than anything in the UK. So. It's quite a, it's quite a, what's the hell to say, it's quite, it's a formula for how mm. we go basically, so it's hard for the first 30 minutes usually, or whenever, in, or to wherever the break goes, and then the peloton completely sits up basically, and you're doing like less than 100 watts, and you're doing right. like 25-30k an hour for how long, I don't know could be half an hour 15 20 minutes something mm-hmm. like that and then and then usually a couple of teams go on the front and then the pace starts going up and then mm. once the break's got a reasonable gap and then so is that is that predictable then like do you know much, how that's yeah. going to pan out before it actually happens uh usually yeah although obviously if there's if there's any crosswinds or climbs or anything then it's very different but on a a rolling or flat stage that's pretty much how it goes yeah how was racing different this year do you think with covid then um obviously once you got your race season underway um i think most of it was out of the way by then i'm, I'm guessing you know the obvious things like you were wearing masks when you weren't actually racing and things like that were still in place yeah was there any other significant changes would you say um to be honest, not noticeably, no. Other than just the 
the actual racing itself just being more aggressive and bigger riders doing the race these smaller races was, yeah but apart from that it's just I think well there's probably well I this is the first year of me doing any of these races so I can't really compare mm. anything yeah. to the previous years but it's probably slightly less crowd interaction and do you do you feel like this year and again from the outside looking in it certainly felt like this for me watching you do you feel like it was it was very much like from going from essentially not much going on to right in the deep end of races like it looked from the outside looking in you were you were obviously doing all your training you would go into a couple of t- online team team camps and that's the one thing that i noticed with covid is is that um you know all of the kind of team meetups that you were doing were virtual um and then it seemed like you were on a couple of team training camps and then within a couple of months you were straight into a massive block of um abroad races did it feel like it was a little bit kind of you know fro- straight into to the deep end kind of thing there wasn't much of a transition or we were you fairly happy with how it transitioned across well uh, it's yeah i think it was pretty much straight in at the deep end really Cause 2020 i was still racing in this country and there's no racing at all so mm. my last race i did last road race i did some hill climbs but the last road race of 2020 was march i think 2020 and then my the next road race I did after that was in March 2021 and that was a UCI race in UCI 1.2 in Croatia so because it was yeah it was a bit rusty let's just say that for the first that that first race was a shock to the system yeah a lot of nervous energy as well I assume yeah yeah definitely it was it was an experience. How, um, what would you say is your most proud moment, I guess, of your racing for this team um, over the last year? What what results were you were you satisfied with? Would you say? Um, well, we did the um, what's it called Giro d'Aosta in Italy, which is a under twenty three stage race in like the the edge of the Alps near Mont Blanc sort of thing and I mean it's apart from the Baby Giro it's one of the biggest under 23 stage races you can do really so and okay I didn't nothing the results weren't anything special but I got around it I was 40 something on GC or but the amount there was about I think less than half the field actually finished it and most lots of people were finished outside the time limit or just gave up and mm. but I mean so I'm just I was I was satisfied just to finish it really because it's ridiculously hard I think there's three stages about 400 kilometers of racing Crikey. and about 11,000 meters of climbing in wow. those 400 k's <laughs> like, yeah it was three big days on the bike, basically. But I think <clears throat> that's one thing that I noticed with your training leading up to these races. Um, obviously, one of the main differences between racing in the UK and r- the r- kind of racing that you've been doing this year is 
the vast amount of volume and, and vast amount of miles and elevation that you crack up in these races. Mm. And I assume that's one of the big things that's changed in your training over the past year is that you have been doing a lot more um, long, longer rides, longer total volume, um, and with that potentially a lot less intensity. How, yeah, give me a bit of an insight or give the, the listeners a bit of an insight into how your, what a typical training week is, um, you know, a couple of weeks out from uh, one of these big races and um, and how that might differ for the, for the UK scene. So yeah, this year, a typical week would be, I don't know, this 18, 19, 20 hours of riding with maybe a couple of five hours and a six hour ride potentially and then a few easy days and then including some sort of like tempo efforts for like up to 30 minutes on climbs and then quite possibly a couple of hours of motor pacing on the flat as well just to get the speed in so yeah but it's just more more volume less intensity generally but just like it's just endurance really Mm. because these races can be I mean, for example, Tour of Bulgaria we did, I think we had just five stages and about three of them were over 200k, I think, so, yeah, it's just five hours, if you can ride for five hours in training, then you can ride for five hours in a race, basically. Mm, yeah, so. and we had a discussion fairly recently about um, what that's potentially done to your overall physiology, because one of your major strengths before you went to to race abroad is your top end kind of um, aerobic performance Um, and you feel maybe potentially that the vast amount of volume that you've been doing has compromised your top end a little bit would you say yeah I'd probably say it has a bit yeah but then again my sort of endurance sort of side of it has come on Mm. a lot since racing in this country so it's it's trying to get the balance between the two really so. yeah and you know for the for the racing that you have been doing uh the, the training goes hand in hand and certainly helps helped you out a lot in there because mm. i mean there's no no doubt that if i was to do a, a five or six hour race with that kind of elevation change you know after three hours of that you know i'd be absolutely goose no matter what no matter how fit I was at the top end, you know, there's only a certain amount of total volume I can get in the legs without me fatiguing, yeah. and and that's where you really came on this year. Um, so give me, I'm fairly mindful. I want to keep this podcast fairly short today, so we've got a lot to talk about off the podcast today in our meeting. So um, for those who don't know much about you as an individual um, before this podcast, then just give me, just give the listeners a little bit of an insight into. Um, you know, if we go back over the past five, five, even ten years, I know that your, for example, your sister's doing really well as, at the minute as well in racing, um, Abby Smith. And as a family, it seems like you know you're very, you're very good in terms of athleticism. So tell me a little bit about you know how you feel you've come on over the past few years and what an impact your family has has on that you, you mentioned you came from a triathlon background so give the listeners a bit of an insight into where you've come from yeah so I started 
triathlon when I was, I don't know, eight or nine probably, just because, well, to be honest, I can't really remember why I started it. But and how old are you now? I'm 21 now, 21. so it's been a while, yeah. So I went to a local tri club in York, I think, did a bit of training around there, then gradually progressed up through like the Yorkshire triathlon series in like up the age groups up into youth and then the youth age groups first age group where you race like nationally like regularly so did the youth national series um did all right in it i think i can't remember i think i came fourth overall in it one year it's maybe my second year and I think I got a podium in one race, so I was alright in youth. And then junior, I, again, I've progressed again and I got some more podiums in junior triathlon in the UK series and then got onto the England, England talent squad and did some racing abroad for Great Britain in European Cups and stuff. Triathlon. What was your strongest discipline back then? Would you was say? Was it the cycling? Because I, yeah. I know you're a good in runner. Ju- right? In junior and youth, it was definitely cycling. But my cycling was getting progressively more, progressively stronger mm. in relation to the other two later on in my triathlon career, basically. So yeah, and then in 2018, September 2018, I did. I was doing the Super League triathlon in Jersey and I crashed on the bike because I was pushing a bit hard to catch up after a poor swim and I broke my collarbone. Not hell. Yeah, and then not really badly but still had to, it's still a month or so of not swimming or and not, and a couple of weeks of off running and cycling was the only thing I could do really and during that time that's when I basically decided that I didn't want to do triathlon anymore because I just enjoyed not swimming and not running really and just cycling so on the turbo to start with as you can imagine but yeah and then end of 2018 that was when I stopped triathlon first year of cycling was 2019 where yeah 2019 I was racing for World Top, the Edge. I better get that in. Um, race team, <laughs> and um, yeah, I went from I got my first cat license in 2019, and then which was a good, good achievement really. And I don't think I actually won a race in 2019, but I got top tens and top fives in National B races and. And I did win a race. I won a National B crit right at the end of the year in October, which I don't know how. I still don't know how I won that, but anyway, it happened. So I'll take it. And then, I think just yeah. to put in there, I think looking back then, you know, we've talked about it before on the podcast. I think one of the problems was you were almost so fit that year that you were, you know, you you had absolute diamonds in the legs compared to a lot of people and sometimes obviously that can work well within your favour but sometimes it makes you in such a good position that it sometimes works against you because 
you could effectively respond to whatever you wanted and try whatever you wanted. And some of the people who maybe weren't as fit as you, but were saving a lot more, um, and it came down to the end, you know, you might not have had as much left towards the end um, as, as some of the people who have been sat back and, and, and relaxing a little bit more. Obviously, there's a lot of other chances to, to play with as well, and, and people get lucky. Um, but I remember actually doing a few races with you and, you know, you going off on a, a, a move early on and, and no one had the strength to stay with you. So you ended up on your own for, um, you know, an hour, yeah. two hours of racing. Um, and I remember seeing you doing one race um, and I'm pretty sure you averaged like 350 watts for like the first two hours of that race on a, so- on a solo move or something like that. Um, and... Uh, and I was astounded just how, how much time you were taking up on the group. Um, and then, uh, and then yeah, it came down to it. And I think a, a load of people wanted to wanted to make something more of it. And by that point, you were pretty goosed. But yeah, I think you've learned a lot from the, from that point, haven't you? And um, yeah, I was a bit naive in my race tactics back mm. then. I was more just go as hard as I can. Yeah. Straight away, yeah. basically, but. I think I've progressed a bit in my tactics now. Yeah, definitely. And I think now you are in a position, you know, just to just to put this into perspective for the for the listeners. Obviously, I know you can't see Nathan. Nathan, you're six foot one. Mm. What is your race weight? My race weight is around. What was it about sixty four kilos? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, you can imagine at six foot one, sixty four kilos. Nathan's an incredibly lean individual. Not a sprinter, let's just say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so if you look at the kind of things that suit Nathan, it is typically more of those, you know, hilly stage races and, and uh, the mountaintop finishes and so on. And a lot of the UK races in particular, they are rolling or very flat and um, don't suit that kind of stature as much. So now that Nathan's going abroad and... and, and having a lot more of this elevation change, I guess it, it suits you a lot a lot more, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so after Wall Top the Edge, then then what happened? Um, then I moved on to Cycling Sheffield for the 2020 season, but started and then stopped very quickly, so... Due to COVID? Yeah, obviously, <laughs> so... Yeah, it was a non-existent year, basically. Did you get any races with them at all? I got two two races in March with wow. them. And I was then... There was on the... Yeah. There was a lot, all the rumours were circulating in the, sec, in the second race of that year about how there's not going to be any more races. And it was just when COVID was kicking off, really. So, yeah, put a halt to that. And then... So how did, how did um, your current team come about then? Because... Yeah. Obviously, I was coaching you quite a bit at that time, and I started to see these um, Novo Nordisk Talent ID like little virtual rides and um, kind of team cohesion little things that you were doing. Mm. Um, and you did mention it to me at the at the time that you were applying. Mm. How did that come about? And and um, and how did you initially like get get on on the on board? Well, Team Novo Nordisk usually have a well, every year they have a talent ID camp, but but you, and that's usually in person in Georgia, America. So I applied for it, and then I was due to go there, but obviously due to COVID, they had to cancel the 
person to person camp and I decided to run a virtual one instead so it was on Zwift and on the Sufferfest and we had um, like Zoom calls with all the staff and everyone, all the other participants and stuff. And basically we did that, we did Zwift races, we did workouts, we did recovery rides, we did workshops on Zoom and then yeah basically October I got an email saying that I've been invited for the development team for the following year so it was it's just how it is how it came about it was a considering I've never met I never even met any of them in person it was a bit of a surprise really mm. but and how was it you know when you first because when so get when did you first meet like the team boss and all of the kind of your teammates in person then was that abroad yeah that was in end of february this year when i went to croatia it was the first time i met them all right because we didn't we were supposed was that to like a training camp kind of thing yeah i mean we were in croatia for about three weeks and there were two races in the third week so right. we had like two weeks training camp and then a couple of races but we were due to go to spain in january but Covid meant mm. that didn't happen. So, and how was that initial bonding session then? Like, because I'd assume I might be wrong. I'd assume that some of them don't speak English. And they all speak a bit of English. Oh, do they? Okay. A little bit. You can enough to understand. Understand and roughly, yeah. Because yeah, well, they have they have to learn anyway. Because English is. Uh, is the official language of the team. Yeah. So they expect everyone on the team to be able to oh, that's have a reasonable conversation in English. But yeah. Do you speak any other languages? Um, well, I did French at GCSE and got a C. So. Do you know bits? I know. I, I know. Wo- I know bits and bobs, like the odd word and, and phrase, yeah. but I can't like have a conversation in French. So. Yeah. So. Limited. Yeah. The, um, you know more than me, that's for sure. To be honest, it's something that I'm very shameful about. I don't actually know another language, and I, mm. and I wish I did. It's just finding the time to learn, I guess. Um, so yeah, so so that yeah, that initial contact was good, and and uh, you were well received, well welcomed in the team. So, like I say, just again for those who don't know much about the team, it's an all all diabetes team, isn't it? Yes. Um, and what kind of what does that give you in terms of support and 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 more so well a second question would be how does your diabetes affect your cycling in general would you say well the team off the team is just like any other cycling team apart from the team doctors and stuff are just like qualified in diabetes management and they can Offer, they, they're basically in a position to offer you advice on insulin doses and nutrition to help mm-hmm. maintain glucose levels during races and stuff. But it's, so it's not much different to how you'd expect, mm-hmm. really. And to answer your second question, it usually it doesn't affect me at all during a race because it's I fuel, I fuel, I eat and drink and fuel exactly the same as anyone else would do because I've put the right amount of insulin basically but obviously sometimes you put too little in and 
and then you have to give yourself an instant shot during the race which is quite awkward sometimes mm. and then sometimes you put too much in more so in training rides than in races but I mean obviously you just have to <laughs> you have to eat a lot more than you would do mm. which isn't ideal sometimes but so how does um, again for those who don't know too much about diabetes and how and how it affects cycling performance um, I mean coaching you for a few years from the outside looking in it I agree it doesn't seem to actually affect you too much because you're very well accustomed to it by now and you know um, how to manipulate your insulin levels and the amount of food you're putting in um, to make sure that you're stable but there has been times when you've specifically said in your feedback where you know you had a massive low or, or you really just you know you know it massively affected you I remember you coming back from a training camp uh, in the Alps um, or you know a little training holiday so to speak for a couple of weeks out yeah. there and I remember you did something slightly wrong on the way back mixed with all of the fatigue that you had from the from the time away itself and you had to have like a week off the bike or over a week off the bike when you got back because of that um, you know what happened there do you, do you remember what I'm talking about there to be honest I don't no. really know so how, but I can, when it goes wrong what, what are the kind of uh, things which typically happen usually if you get if your glucose levels go too high then it's it's not much of a problem if you're riding and they go too high because we if they go too high you're not in any like immediate danger of being taken seriously ill mm. at that point if your glucose levels go too low when you're riding then that's the point where you need to well, probably stop and eat some food until they start going up again because if they go if your levels go too low then you can well it's never happened to me but in theory you can like pass out mm. or basically you your body just, starts to shut down yeah, yeah and you just become less aware of what's actually going on and if you're riding on the road with cars and, or if you're in a race then it's not what you yeah. want really, so. but if your glucose level go too high when you're not exercising mm. or sedentary, um, is that a bit of a problem for you as well? If a, if a, what's the word? If a, if a, if a, if they're high for a prolonged period of mm. time, then yes. But usually, if they're too high, then you put a corrective dose of insulin yeah. straight in. And and how do you monitor that? Have you you've got what have you got going on on your arm? Well, I can't. I'm not really supposed to discuss this. Oh wow! Really, it's part of the team principle. But oh I think, fair. But basically, I've got I've got a glucose sensor that gives me real time glucose. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So is that something that you had pre the team, or have you changed no, things? No, I had that a couple of years before the team. Right. So. So yeah, so here we are, um, sat in Starbucks. Uh, we're, we, I, I started this podcast a bit off the cuff, ad hoc, because I appreciated that some of the questions I had when I haven't seen you for a little while, um, I, some of the listeners would be interested as well. 
Um, and I think we've gone over a few different points. One of the things I'd quite like to put across to all of the listeners is that Nathan is an incredibly... He comes across as a very casual guy and, and someone who's really, really, really relaxed with his approach to everything. And you'll probably get that impression um, listening to him now. Like, he's proper chilled and, um, you know, he's, he's not um, too up in the stars in terms of where he is. Um, he's got a good head screwed on him, on him and he knows where he wants to be. But I promise you, in terms of... Um, being a coached athlete like when it comes to his training and monitoring his diet and his lifestyle and his training um he's very very methodical everything um i think out of all of my athletes he's the one that asks the most questions um and is constantly um pulling me up as a coach on things that i might have prescribed and asking why and how this uh, interacts with certain things and that's a really good trait of an athlete so um, you can understand why uh, Nathan has got so far with his um, cycling already and hopefully um, it keeps propelling him forward in, in years to come um, thank you very much Nathan for the chat I know we're going to have a bit more of a chat once I press stop on this podcast um, but for now listeners thank you and see you again next time <laughs>